2: Welcome to it. We have made it to Friday. It's Hail Varsity
3: Radio presented by the Nebraska lottery. Not Chris Schmidt today. Chris Schmidt out on assignment, I believe his son's baseball game, if I if I remember correctly. Gotta go out and watch Junior play. Excited for them. Good luck to uh, to Chris and his son as they're out on the ball fields. In the meantime, it's Elijah Herbal filling in alongside Damon Barr. Excited to get this thing rolling today. It's our second show this week. We had the the Monday show where we had a lot of fun at the end of the uh, the 4th of July holiday. I, I thought we had a, a good show on Monday. Uh, went pretty well. Excited for another show today. We got some uh, some good names coming at you today. Mitch Sherman joining us at 425. Usually talk to Mitch on Tuesdays, but in the wake of this whole 10-game schedule announcement from the Big Ten, decided to track him down today. He had an, uh, an article on The Athletic from yesterday that we want to get into with him. So that's coming up here in about 20 minutes. Mitch Sherman coming up next hour. Bill Dolman, the pride of Fairbury, joining us from Colorado. Going to talk to him. We haven't talked to him about that article uh about Scott Frost on the hot seat that we've talked about a lot this week excited to get thoughts from him because I know Bill's always a guy with opinions and I'm sure he's going to have an opinion on this one to round things out 525 about an hour and a half from now Derek Peterson joining us as we're also going to get into this weird you know 10 game schedule thing pretty unprecedented uh maybe a little bit into Colin Coward which you and I are going
1: to get into here in a second but Damon first things first it's your fourth show this week how you feeling God, I'm so tired. My back hurts from just sitting in this chair for a couple. It's been a fine week. I I love doing the work. It's fun. (laughs) The voice box hurts by now.
3: (laughs) Got big respect for Chris six days a week. Chris will be back in tomorrow morning, Saturday morning show uh, for our local listeners that will be here on uh, ESPN for our listeners across the state. You can find that one. On uh, iTunes or your favorite streaming service, as well as com. That is for the show tomorrow, Saturday morning. Chris will be back in. Damon, you and I also have a show next Friday that you and I are going to be doing together. Uh, Looking forward to that. I feel like we're getting better at
1: these things, you know? Yeah, I feel like Chris has definitely taken the liberty on these assignments he's going off on. Well, I mean, it's summertime. As, As, As he should. As he should.
3: He deserves it. And I think you and I enjoy coming and doing do. these shows. It's, it's nice. a good time being able to schedule some interviews, talk about what we want to talk about. Speaking of which, we're going to get into some UFC next hour. If you're a big UFC fan, if you're going to watch the fights tomorrow night, going to get into that a little bit uh, in the second hour. I know we got into that a little bit on Monday going to double down here today and talk about that a little more. Maybe give you a little betting preview. I know you guys had Danny Burke on yesterday, um, but I've been doing my own betting research and I want to get into that. But let's start off with Colin Cowherd. He was uh, on his show yesterday and he actually spoke a little bit on Scott Frost. He also read that CBS Sports article about which coaches are on the hot seat and Scott Frost stood out to him. And when you listen to these, he's I mean, he's making a, a reasonable point, and that he's agreeing with what we've said on this show. He's saying that Scott Frost shouldn't be on the hot seat. His his reasons differ a little bit from ours. Uh, so, I mean, let's just let's hear it from him first. Uh, up first, he,
4: he kind of talks about how Nebraska isn't the program it once used to be. Here's Colin. The boss of Nebraska is the president, the AD, and the fans. They think Nebraska is an A job. It's a C job. I'm not even sure it's a C plus job. You're a seven win program. Which, it
3: may hurt Nebraska fans to hear that. To hear somebody say, you're a 7-win program, you're no longer A-tier. But, is he wrong? When you look at the recent history of Nebraska, right now, at the moment, we're not in a recruiting hotbed. We have funding coming in, but we haven't had recent success. We don't have the recruiting hotbed. We have some dated facilities. And we're playing in a, a very tough conference, which is... Probably the second most difficult conference to play in the nation right now, behind the SEC. He makes some valid points. It's not like Nebraska is stuck at this at this C tier, as he has said. I mean, you look at Oregon. When Chip Kelly came into Oregon, Oregon was not the A or B tier that you see now. They were C tier. He had to build that program up and get it up to the A tier. Or, or look at Scott Frost. Even when he went down to UCF, that team had just went 0 12. If anything, I mean, they're in a good recruiting place, but not in a good conference. You don't expect to get good recruits at UCF. That's an F or a D job. And by the time Scott Frost left, I mean, people wanted that. They they wanted to go coach UCF. There's good talent on that roster. Scott Frost left that program in a better place than whenever he got the job. He rose that program up to, I mean, a a respectable job. Nebraska has fallen off of that. I mean, six wins, five wins, four wins. You look at the past couple years, it's not a good program right now. And Nebraska, if they do fire Scott Frost, is going to struggle to find somebody any better. I'm not saying Nebraska's going to fire Scott Frost. We've hit on that enough this week. Nebraska is not going to fire Scott Frost after this season. Probably not even after next season. Even if things go awfully. They gave him that two-year extension. They they were giving him chances to build things up. So, with all that in mind, I don't think he's making a bad point here. It may sound a little abrasive to Nebraska fans. I mean... It's, it's reasonable. He, he kind of gets into that a little bit as well, saying, don't fire Scott
4: Frost. Scott Frost wins seven and a half this year. Go ahead, fire him. Go ahead. You, you know, the only reason he took that job, because he could have had a bunch of jobs, he went there. That's it. So he's saying fire him, but you can hear what he's saying. It's don't fire him.
3: Scott Frost is better than what Nebraska has shown in the past five years. Scott Frost is a better
1: coach for this program. I mean, Damon, do you disagree with that? no I completely agree and the the thing is Scott Frost could go losing record for the next 20 years and we'd still keep him on because I mean he's the golden Nebraska boy I'm not saying that like this is a favoritism or nepotism kind of thing but like he's the one that will want to get it done here he's the one that has passion for Nebraska and that's something that is kind of falling in you know the eyes of the public and it needs to be rebuilt
3: Calling dives a little bit into why Nebraska is at the place where it needs to be rebuilt. And he brings up three main points. Let's bring up the first one, uh, which is uh, that Nebraska is playing in the wrong conference. That leaving the Big 12 was a bad move.
4: Number one with
3: Nebraska. They're in the wrong conference. Oh, is that it? Is that all I had? That's my bad. Um, <laughs> I totally thought that cut was longer. I think we had another one coming up here in a second. But in the wrong conference come on now, come on now, Colin, do your research. It comes down to dollar bills. When you look at it in football alone in 2019, Nebraska made a $59 million profit. You can add to that the payouts from the Big Ten Conference, 51 million for a total of $110 million in profit solely from the football program. I mean, the the conference stuff comes a little bit from the other sports, but it's primarily driven by football. When you combine those two, $110 million in profit. The highest payout that Nebraska got from the Big 12, and that little, like the sharing, the revenue sharing, was $9 million. That's one-sixth of what Nebraska got last year from the Big 10. One-sixth. I mean, when you just look at the, the dollar bills like that, it's, it's an easy move. I mean, when you look at conference revenues, the Big 10's actually king. Last year, the Big 10 made $781 million. For comparison, the SEC which was number two, made $720 million. And the Big 12, which Nebraska left so famously about 10 years ago, made $439 million, $300 million short of what the Big 10 made last year. You can argue all you want that Nebraska has moved to a better conference with a higher competition, and that's why they're failing. But where they're not failing is in the pocketbook. Nebraska has done well for themselves leaving the Big 12 and joining the Big 10. Last year, Nebraska was 16th in the country, in athletic budget, $142 million. The only big 12 schools that made more last year were Oklahoma and Texas, who, I mean, that's who Nebraska was competing with in the big 12, but Nebraska always was kind of third. Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Now, Nebraska's in the big 10 where seven of the top 20 teams in revenue are from the big 10. Compare that to the big 12 where they only have four teams in the top 45. I mean, I'm going to read you the list of teams that are in that top 20 from the Big Ten. You got Ohio State coming in at number three. You got Michigan coming in right behind them at number four. You got Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State. Then you have Nebraska and then Iowa. Those are the Big Ten's teams in the top 20 in terms of revenue across all of Division One. When you look at it that way, it's pretty simple. But Collins actually coming from a from a little different perspective, and that's the perspective
4: of recruiting. That killed their Texas recruiting, because now Texas parents in Nebraska lived on Texas recruiting because there's no players in Nebraska, So, and California kids don't want to go to Nebraska, and Florida kids mostly don't want to go to Nebraska. There's no talent in Nebraska.
3: That, that's the first point I'm going to dive into right to there. I mean, yeah, the, the talent in Nebraska isn't the same as a California or Texas or Florida, but look at the populations. Nebraska is getting good players from inside the state. Xavier Betts. Xavier Watts went off to Notre Dame, also a great talent. Chris Hickman last year. Nick Henrich. Garrett Nelson, should I go on? There, there's talent in Nebraska, enough that you can build a team on. Obviously, it's not the Texas of the world, where they probably don't even need to leave the state of Texas for their recruiting. It's different down there. But Nebraska's found success, even through the 90s, early 2000s, mid-2000s, Bo Pelini years, finding a good base of talent in Nebraska. And then... Into the second point here from Colin, that guys from California and Texas and Florida don't want to come to Nebraska, well, tell it to the seven Florida kids that came in the class of 2020. I mean, maybe these kids from across the country don't want to come play football in Nebraska. I get it. You're coming from warm Florida, warm California. It takes a little something to get you to Nebraska. Well, that little something's Scott Frost. Scott Frost is building something here. These players want to come play for Scott Frost. So as much as you can say Nebraska made the wrong move by going Big 12 to Big 10, Nebraska still gets talent in the Big 10. Nebraska's making more money in the Big 10. And you know who else is recruiting well in the Big 10? Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin's recruiting well. Iowa recruits pretty well. It's not that this is some impossible place to recruit. Recruits are coming to the Big 10. So, I mean, it's... Colin could have, could have fixed this with 10 minutes of Google searching, but he doesn't want to do that. It's, it's the national perspective of Nebraska. We ask all these recruits, oh, what, what do people think in Nebraska? And this is what it is. We're getting some, some insight from Colin, more from him on, I mean, the, the, the expectations at Nebraska. And, and this is what the people around the country think. I think this is an interesting way to see what the opinion of Nebraska is around the country. He thinks a big problem is the unrealistic expectations that are placed
4: on Nebraska. The boss has unrealistic expectations. And the boss or the fans and the media and the and the AD and the president, this is a seven-win program. That's all Nebraska is. It, they don't have any players in the state.
3: Ah, man. It, it's, it's frustrating to listen to because it just seems so uninformed. He didn't come talk to Nebraska fans about this, but it is what people around the country think of Nebraska. But I don't think the, the realist or the expectations around here are unrealistic. When you go back to the budget, Wisconsin's budget's $151 million a year. Iowa's $137 million a year. Michigan State's $145 million a year, all within $10 million a year of Nebraska. Those are the schools that Nebraska fans want to be competitive with. Wisconsin and Iowa are in the same division. We're tired of getting just rolled by them. Those games have been train wrecks the past couple years. Iowa, I guess you can make the argument it's been close, but we've lost both games in the past two years. Those, that's where we want to get. It's not, Nebraska fans at the moment don't want to go win a national championship next year, in two years. We're realistic about that. Obviously, Nebraska fans want to get back to the the glory of the yesteryears, 90s, 70s. But I I think they also understand that times are coming. The change is coming. And Scott Frost is building that change. I mean, Bill Moose himself, unrealistic expectations. Are you kidding me? He said last year he just wanted six wins, and he doubled down at this year. Said I just want to make a bowl game. How is that unrealistic expectations? Another thing, it's it's five minutes of Google searching, Colin. His heart's in the right place. He doesn't want Scott Frost to get fired, but he's just seeming uninformed here. Last point from Colin that we'll get into is why Nebraska is failing compared to these schools like Wisconsin,
4: Iowa, Michigan State, and he, he says it's because they don't have anything to hang their hat on. Wisconsin has a thing; they just develop unbelievable offensive linemen for the NFL. You know, you, you got to have a thing to, to hang it on if you have recruiting disadvantages. I mean, I would say Nebraska has something to hang their hat on
3: in recruiting. Speed City. You see it on Twitter all the time. Nebraska is trying to build the fastest program in the Big Ten. They want speed, speed, and only speed. You know where that worked? Oregon. Oregon, for years, is known as the fastest team in America. Track stars everywhere. DeAnthony Thomas. I mean, Oregon... They also have the whole Nike connection, but that wasn't why players went there. Players went there because of, of the system. They knew that they would be put on display because they were fast and they could go win at Oregon. Same thing at UCF. Scott Frost got time to build those programs up and to build an identity for them. Right now, Nebraska just doesn't really have an identity. When you watch that offense last year, this the speed didn't jump off at you. It didn't jump out of the screen. You didn't see it and go, wow, this team's fast. Wow, this offense, it's moving fast. No, it takes time to build that. I think recruits can see it's coming. The national media will see it too soon, I believe. So, I mean, Damon, overall, when you look at
1: what Colin Coward's saying, do you agree with me? He's he's coming from a good place. I, I think he has good intentions, but he just, yes, as you said, he's uninformed. And also, I feel like he just kind of has a bone to pick with Nebraska. I don't know what it is. It sounds like he just... He is unwilling to, you know, look on the look on our side of things. I think he's just stuck with his outside perspective.
3: But it's an interesting perspective to see, and that's I mean we've been wondering for a long time. We asked that show a lot: is what do the recruits think in Nebraska coming in? What do these guys from Texas think? What do the guys from the East Coast think about Nebraska? Well, the West Coast even. Well, we're getting a pretty interesting perspective here from Colin Coward, and that's that Nebraska is no longer the program that it once was. Nebraska is no better than every single year winning seven games would be a success. I don't believe that to be true, but that's what the national perspective is, and that's what Colin Cowherd thinks. Whether we like it or not, that's the perspective that's out there. Coming up after the break, Mitch Sherman. Going to talk with him a little bit about the 10-game schedule. Maybe a little bit about uh, Bill Moose's comments today in the Journal Star that Nebraska could be looking at a 12-game conference late. That's what he's pushing for. That's coming up next. It's Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska
2: Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, so, think we could listen to the radio listen. On Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
0: Yes! That's awesome!
2: Back in, it's Hail Varsity Radio presented by
3: the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal alongside Damon Barr as we're filling in for Chris today. Chris out on assignment, but back tomorrow morning, Saturday morning edition, seven to nine, you're not gonna miss that. Before that though. Got a show to finish today. Excited now to welcome in Mitch Sherman. He covers Nebraska for The Athletic. It's a great app. And Mitch actually had a great story from last night about the 10-game schedule. Before we get into that, Mitch, I just want to say I'm used to talking to you on Tuesdays. feels a little weird to be talking to you on a Friday. How are you doing today, though?
5: Yeah, you know, I'm delaying the start of my weekend for you guys, So um, it's, uh, but it's good to be here. Well,
3: Mitch, I appreciate that. You got any big plans for the weekend?
5: Um, got some youth baseball, got some dinner with uh, friends tonight. Um, going to stay out of the heat, maybe mow my yard. You know, pretty exciting. That's the best thing I've,
3: I've heard. I mean, that's just a great weekend. Sounds perfect. That does, does sound good. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Mitch, let's talk a little football here. And, and the big news is yesterday's announcement from the Big Ten that they're going to be moving to a 10 game conference only schedule. You wrote about it a little bit in a piece last night, but what, what was your first reaction whenever you heard the news?
5: Well, when the news came out, I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, our reporters at The Athletic have been on this throughout the week. Um, if I go back to the beginning of the week when this started to look like it was going to be likely, um, I'd say at, at that point, uh, yeah, it, t- it took me a, a little bit of getting used to, to, uh, you, you know, to for that to sink in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just wrote last week about South Dakota State and the measures that it it planned to take to be able to be a safe opponent for Nebraska in September. I felt pretty confident after speaking to Justin Sell, the SDFU athletic director, that South Dakota State could have come to Lincoln and, and played in a game that was not any more dangerous for Nebraska or for anyone else than a Big Ten game, for instance. But In listening to some of the explanations, first, the speculation early in the week and then the confirmation yesterday that this is the Big Ten decision, Um, yeah, it it, it makes some sense. The Big Ten has given itself a path to be able to have a season. I think that's the optimistic way to look at it. It's the way I'm choosing to look at it right now. This is is, uh, the Big Ten taking action, putting something in the works, saying, you know, we think that this is the best way to go right now. It gives us the best chance to be able to play whatever it is, nine games, ten games. Uh, Ten games seems most likely, but there's nine on the the schedule right now. Um, And there's also a way to look at it where you can say, all right, slippery slope and the dominoes have started falling. And we saw the Ivy League canceled the season. Um, We've seen some individual games at lower levels canceled. We're hearing about junior college Football um, being put off until spring, and here comes the Big Ten with the decision to cancel all of its non-conference. And it's only July 10th. It was July 9th yesterday. So, so where are we going from here? It, it you know, you could make an argument that we're headed toward um, more cancellations, and eventually it, it will, it'll wipe the uh, the college football season right off the schedule. But um, you know, I, I don't, I don't take that that viewpoint of it. Uh, on this, um, I, I think the Big Ten is doing what it needs to do to try to have the safest season and and uh, you know be realistic about the way that September, October, and November is going to look.
3: Mitch, when we're looking at these non-conference teams that Nebraska is now no longer going to be playing. Do we know what the financial implications are going to be for them just yet? I mean, I know Nebraska a couple of years ago still paid out to Akron whenever uh, they canceled that game against Akron due to weather. Obviously, this is unforeseen and a bit of a natural disaster, I guess, if you will, uh, with a pandemic. Do Do we know are those teams going to get their payouts?
5: Well, with Akron, Nebraska reached a settlement and then scheduled a game in a future year, and you may see something similar. Uh, in, in these situations, or you know, I'd say most likely in the case of Central Michigan, you may just see the game go away. Um, with South Dakota State, it's a, multi, uh, a multi-year uh, situation. Nebraska plays South Dakota State and Lincoln again in 2024 and again in 2028, so I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see a third game put back on the schedule. Um, as far as the immediate ramifications, I mean, that one's 515000 that Nebraska uh, would owe South Dakota State as far as the payout for that game. And there's a clause in that contract for liquidated damages, too, that would require Nebraska to, to pay South Dakota State a million dollars if, if, if the Huskers are the ones who, who cancel the game. So it remains to be seen um, how that shakes out. You know, some kind of a settlement will be reached. I would say similar to what we saw with Akron a couple years ago, where perhaps there's a game put on a future schedule between the teams. Um, and certainly if not, Nebraska is going to be on the hook for all or the majority of the, uh, the guarantee that, that it, it agreed to pay those teams. Um, with Cincinnati, there's a game at Cincinnati um, as part of this arrangement in 2025. So I would think that if Nebraska wants to keep that game intact, it's going to take whatever steps are necessary to find a spot to put Cincinnati back on the schedule in Lincoln in a future year. So it can remain a home and home. And if that's the case, then I don't know if you'll see uh, Cincinnati get the entire payout that uh, is in the, in the contract for this year. Um, It is interesting to note that there are um, several reasons listed um, for a, uh, a contract like these to be voided. Um, If there is, for instance, a terrorist um, attack. If there is uh, government intervention, um, all kinds of stuff listed in the language of these contracts that would allow uh, Nebraska to get out without paying. Uh, a pandemic is not is not in there. Uh, just like a a lightning storm was not in there in the Akron contract two years ago. Um, Nebraska doesn't have a leg to stand on here it, it went with the language in the contract if it wanted not to pay these three teams. But I I would definitely expect with the way that Nebraska does business, there's going to be some kind of a settlement, some kind of a payment, and possibly a rescheduling of of a future game with with all or uh, at least two of these three teams.
4: Mitch
3: Sherman's with us. Uh, Mitch is a writer for The Athletic. And and Mitch, whenever you're looking at this, the Big Ten was the one who kind of mandated this is going to be a conference-only season. Could you see them paying out to schools to assist them in paying these non-conference schools for the cancellation of the games?
5: You know, I don't. I don't really think so. I mean, the schools are the are the uh, are, are the, the entities that that benefit from the Big Ten media payouts. Um, the Big Ten isn't necessarily getting rich itself off of the the TV contracts and ticket sales. I mean, certainly the Big Ten um, bank account is is in good shape. Um, but uh, you know, I think it's going to be up to the schools in this situation. Um, you know, all the big ten is generally is is a collection of the fourteen schools that that make it up. So it would seem unlikely that the conference office itself is going to be making payments to the to to the opponents um, who who the league cancelled
2: on.
3: Mitch, you mentioned a little bit earlier uh, that there are two ways to look at this, and one is the slippery slope down to no season. But the other one is, oh, this is a step in the right direction. We're going to have a season. We, we've actually seen kind of both sides from leaders in the Big Ten. Bill Moose had an interview in the Journal-Star earlier where he said he's hopeful for a season. Ronnie Green released a statement last night where he kind of echoed that and said, excited for a season, and hopefully it's a step in the right direction. But then you have Ohio State AD Gene Smith, who said he's now kind of worried about the season and kevin warren commissioner of the big 10 kind of said the same thing so i mean does that concern you at all that even among the leadership there's kind of doubt whether or not there's going to be a season or not
5: yeah i mean nebraska can't have a season by itself um you know it takes it takes uh, other opponents i don't think nebraska is going to go rogue here and, and start scheduling out a conference when the league doesn't want it to or the league policy states otherwise Um, Nebraska's best hope, and and essentially it's only hope for a season right now, is for things to work within the Big Ten. And that means that other schools are going to have to be in situations like Nebraska. I understand the optimism in Nebraska. I share it in that you look around and it's not that the the pandemic, the coronavirus uh, situation is not um, dire in the same way that it is in other states. Um, And mostly in the Big Ten, it's all right. But uh, Nebraska, even more so than like the state of Ohio, for instance, had 10 times as many deaths as the state of Nebraska or the state of Pennsylvania bordering Ohio, which has had two times as many deaths as Ohio. Um, I, I think you know, you're going to find various opinions from various leaders throughout the league, and it's easy to be optimistic or it's a good choice to be optimistic in Nebraska, but you're going to have to have good outcomes and a good traje- trajectory um, with the, the progress in, in staving off outbreaks uh, in places beyond the Nebraska borders in order for this thing to work out the way the Huskers want.
3: Mitch, last thought on this topic, and that's Bill Moose's comments in the Journal Star. He actually said that he's pushing for a 12-game conference slate, and Scott Frost has said before that he thinks it would be hmm. uh, a lot of games to play to even add one more to the conference slate. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts on what Bill Moose said, saying, hmm, 12 games could be an interesting option?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay to push for as many as are possible. If you actually got to a situation where teams had to play 12 conference games, I think it's going to, pre- prevent, it's going to present some real problems um, because of the physical toll that that would take. I, I understand that you know, it's not a cakewalk to play South Dakota State, Central Michigan, and Cincinnati, but if you were to replace those three, three teams with Michigan, Michigan State, and, and Maryland or Indiana, um, it's not the same. It's, it's going to take more of a toll on the players' bodies. It's going to be a difficult thing for a season for them to go through. Um, but I get Bill Moose's uh, motivation to try to get as many games on the schedule as possible, um, and, and then probably knowing, or at least I would assume he, he expects, that you're really not going to play 12 games. There's an expectation, I think, among a lot of people in college football, probably in the NFL, too, um, that, there are just going to be games that don't happen because there are outbreaks. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are positive cases, and you can't play for that week. You've got to sit out for a week. So if you put 12 on the schedule, maybe you play 10. If you put 10 on the schedule, maybe you play 9 or 8. And I think a happy medium there and where it's probably going to end up is with 10 games on the conference schedule, and you hope you can get them all in.
3: Well, Mitch, a lot of uncertainty whether there's going to be football in the fall, but we do know with certainty that there will be football played in Nebraska tomorrow. It's happened out in Cornyn. It's the Shrine Bowl. and As far as I know, it's the first football game in America since this whole COVID break outbreak. Mm-hmm. So what precautions are they taking? Is there any sort of lessons that can be learned from what they're doing that maybe, I mean, I shouldn't say the Big Ten would adopt, but that we could even see high school football here in Nebraska in the fall?
5: Yeah, I wrote earlier this week about the Shrine Bowl, and, and it is the the first organized football game. I mean, we're not counting seven on seven or spring scrimmages here, but um, a real football game in pads where they tackle in in the country since I believe the XFL season shut down in the second week of March. So significant, it's a uh, it's uh, a <laughs> it's a meaningful game that's that's taking place. And I, and I guess I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent ready to go until they kick the ball off and play that game. I mean, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow morning when everybody wakes up in Kearney or tonight uh, in Carney. But the closer they get to kickoff, the more likely it is that they made it through that week without problems, and they're going to get that thing done, which is great to see. It shows that it can be done. I think it's a real positive step um, that people can look to, and it's good for high school football because the protocols and the procedures that were in place in Kearney this week, I think, are going to look a lot more like what we see on the high school fields this fall around the country and around the state of Nebraska than what we see in college. In college, in the Big Ten, where it has cut itself off from the rest of college football, you're going to have some pretty strict testing protocols. I think teams, players on teams, coaches associated with teams are going to get tested before every game, perhaps multiple times before every game. That's not what happened in Carney this week. They went out there the kids were monitored, they had their temperatures taken, but nobody was getting a coronavirus test while in Kearney unless they showed symptoms of the of the, the, of the the disease. So high school football is going to be more like that. Not to say that no one will test at the high school level, but just because of the cost of it and the logistics involved, I wouldn't expect it's going to be widespread. So if you can make it work this week, great. Um, I don't think it necessarily means that high school football is, you know, without... It's it's problems. Um, Let's see what happens when all of these Shrine Bowl kids go home and go to their college campuses. You know, some of the Nebraska walk ons in this game are reporting to Lincoln as soon as Sunday and they're going to get tested when they get to Lincoln. So if they show up and they're positive, well, it shows that even if the Shrine Bowl went off as planned, it wasn't the success that you might have thought it was if some Nebraska walk ons come in from Kearney and test positive for the virus.
3: Mitch, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining Hail Varsity Radio, and have a good weekend.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. You too. Chime in 402 466 ESPN or email the show, chrishalevarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio.
3: You just heard the ways you can contact the show. We do have open phone lines here for about the next 10 minutes. talking a little bit about Nebraska's schedule here on Hale Varsity Radio. Again, you can call the show 402-466- 3776 or 1-800-825-5865. You can also tweet at me at Herbal Essences I'll try to get back to you. Or maybe I'll uh, I'll read your question out here on the show. You can also email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. We obviously wouldn't get into that today because I don't have access to Chris's email account. That's all him If you want to get in contact with me Tweet at me Or call the show That's that's the, your best bets For today But our topic here For about the next Eight minutes You can call in If you, uh, you have Any thoughts Is Nebraska's schedule Here in 2020 We got the two options The 10 game schedule And the 12 game schedule And I want to start with the 10 Because the 10 As of right now Leaves room for One more team For Nebraska To add to their schedule Most likely A home game Most likely Nebraska's playing four on the road, or excuse me, four at home and five on the road in their Big Ten slate this year, which would leave room for one more team at home. Your options are Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, and Maryland. You also have the possibility of Rutgers cancels. There's been talks of that, Rutgers having some issues with COVID out in New Jersey, so you have the option, oh, if Rutgers cancels, that means one away and one home game. Your options then are Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, Maryland. Of those two games, Damon,
1: or of those four teams, which which would you want? Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, Maryland. Honestly, I think Indiana. I like when we play Indiana. They're fun games, and I feel like it would take, well, A, we're playing Purdue. We're playing a team from Indiana already. It's not going to add as much risk as, say, going to Michigan to play and I, I just like playing Indiana. Artez is on the line. He's got something to say. Artez, go for it. How are you doing, fellas? Doing well, and you?
3: Yeah, good question. What is Notre Dame going to do for their season?
1: <laughs> I bet Notre Dame wants to know, too. I have no idea. I think, I think they're no, I playing... They got,
0: they got five ACC teams, I know for sure. But then what, what about the rest of the
2: season?
1: Well, I know about the ACC teams. I don't. That that's a really good question. Um, I I don't think they can go and play like USC any Pac-12 teams. They're they're gonna struggle. I think to they'll probably find some teams in the Midwest to play. But if they can't play any Big Ten teams, it, it's gonna be tricky for them to to fill out their schedule.
3: And I would say at the moment of any team in the country, I think Notre Dame seems like the least likely of having a 2020 season just because of the news we heard yesterday. Whereas, I mean,
0: hey guys. Yeah. Can I uh,
3: wish my older brother Roger a happy 60, 6-0 birthday today? Yes, you may. Your older brother Roger Craig turned 60 today. I know I saw the tweet from the Huskers account uh, talking about him. Happy birthday, Roger. And uh, thanks for calling the show, Artez. Thanks,
2: guys.
3: 60 years old for Roger Craig. Wow. Good for him. Good for him. I hope to make it to 60. Crossing my fingers. Um, but, yeah, he brings up a good point. And we're talking about scheduling here. Is that Notre Dame? They're going to struggle, man.
1: But uh, then again, the that, that's
3: that's, that's kind of their problem. They've been fighting
1: joining a conference for years now. So if you don't have a 2020 season because you didn't join a conference, I think that's kind of on you. Well, the, the thing we have to talk about, actually, is that the, the, the Big Ten is the only... Conference that has decided we're going to play conference only. And we had Jerry DiNardo on the show yesterday, and he was very adamant that the other conferences do not need to follow suit. He said it's football is a regional game, and conferences can basically rule how they want to. And I can see other like the SEC not now, going that would be with conference fun. only. I could that'd be fun to see Notre so Dame. Notre go, Dame might go down south. Go play twelve SEC teams. They might want Bama. <laughs> that could be fun, but I, I still think
3: Notre Dame's gonna gonna struggle to have a twenty twenty season. Nebraska though, at the moment things are looking I shouldn't say they're looking up, but they're looking all right. Which which leads me to the point. Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, Maryland.
1: If you gotta pick one of those, I mean Indiana and Maryland seems like the easiest wins. Should we be playing Maryland? Should we even be playing Rutgers? That's another the question I said before is Rutgers has talked about canceling their season. So do we replace them or is that just a, a game that we unfortunately have to cancel during the year?
3: You'd feel like if they cancel early enough, you'd be able to replace that. Get another cause then it messes up all the Big Ten East, because everyone in the Big Ten East is scheduled to play right. Rutgers as well. So you'd think you'd be able to schedule another cross divisional matchup and the, the team that kind of stands out to me is Michigan State I haven't played Michigan State in a couple years was the last time we played them was that uh, the game at home correct 2018 was it I think it was 2017 16 I don't know I don't know something I should look up I have a computer in front of me but Michigan State seems interesting first year head coach Mel Tucker Nebraska's got experience with Mel Tucker Kind of know what he's running. We've got two years, of, or yeah, two years of game film with Mel Tucker. I think it could be fun. I mean, the team of that four I want to avoid is Michigan. Michigan would be a no fun to play. I mean, I know they're replacing uh, Shea Patterson at quarterback, who's actually just cut from the Chiefs uh, roster today as they re-sign their backup, and uh, Shea Patterson hit the road. But Michigan, I. I <laughs> with how our last game against Michigan went, what was that, 45-10, to something brutal like that? I don't want to play them again. But, I mean, the other three, Indiana, Michigan State, and Maryland. The other possibility we get into is a 12-game schedule. This seems like fun. I appreciate Bill Moose for bringing this one up, because that leaves your six games from the Big Ten West, which you're already going to be playing. Now you have six games from the East. You already have Ohio State, Penn State, and Rutgers. Now you get to pick three of Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, Maryland So give me Indiana, Michigan State, and Maryland We <laughs> stay away from Michigan again Now I don't think this, this 12 game schedule is all that likely To be 100% honest with you Just It doesn't make much sense Especially
1: with the fact that they want to throw in four bye weeks Just because things can happen and something that Chris has been talking about all week, it feels like, is this kind of round robin schedule where the we home play and home series, the home and home with our uh, Big Ten division rivals with Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. I would love that. You know what I'd like more? We do this twelve game schedule, and we do a home and home with every team in the Big Ten West. That that could be doable if they want to keep us in our region, in our division. I just, I've just i never seen anything like that in college football. You don't see that in college football, playing the same team twice.
3: And if you've played sports before, and you've got to play a team twice in a season, you know it's tough to beat a team twice. Whenever you have game film to go watch, you, when you're the team that wins, it's hard to come in with a new game plan. You have your game plan that worked, but when you're the losing team, it's pretty easy to come in and find what worked for the other team and say, okay, let's build a game plan that's going to stop this team now. So a home-and-home home with every single team in the Big Ten West... I'd love to play Iowa at home in a way. I'd love to play Wisconsin at home in a way. Even Purdue. If, if we drop that first game at home, let me get another shot at them later in the year uh, out in ross Aid Stadium. Oh yeah, I'm all for that. I don't think it's going to happen still. But I, I think that's probably the best the best option that I can see here just because it seems the most fair. It seems like it'd be the best way to find a a division champion in this weird year we're living in. Mm. I mean, if you're playing the Big Ten East and you got Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan as your three crossover games, well, you're pretty screwed. You're not going to have a good conference record. Whereas if you just go Big Ten West home and home, it's fair. You can stack up everything head to head and say, well, every team played every team twice. Nothing to argue about. Could be interesting to me. We're up of hour 1 here after the break. Coming up in hour 2, Bill Dolman, Derek Peterson, you're not going to miss it. Listen to Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And
2: now. And now back to Hail Varsity Radio.
3: Thank God it's Friday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal and Damon Barr filling in for the boss man as Schmini is out on assignment. I think youth baseball. I still haven't checked on that. I could go back and look for the text from earlier this week. That seems like a lot of work right now. Um, but Damon and I have a fun show today. Finishing up uh, hour one here. We had Mitch Sherman earlier this hour. Uh, If you missed that interview, you can check that out in podcast form on ESPNLincoln.com or the ESPN Lincoln Twitter account. Damon will have it up here after the show. And reminder, uh, if you're catching up late, you can catch the full show on uh, iTunes or your favorite streaming service as well as hailvarsity.com. Before we get into this little last hour finishing topic, Damon, I just want to remind you about our friends over at West Blue Realty, if you're looking to make a move in 2020, you need to give the real estate professionals at West Blue a call today. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities, and they will help make your next move a smooth one. For a limited time only, mention hale Varstein. West Blue Realty will provide you up to $1,000 upon the closing of your next home purchase. And if you got agricultural land to sell, they do that too. They have an experienced auctioneer and can handle anything from live auctions, sealed bids, and general land listings. They've sold land in Lancaster, Odo, and Seward counties this year alone, so they can handle a large radius. Remember, you need to ask yourself what West Blue can do for you. Call my friends Tom Luby or Kelly Hofschneider for more details. They're located at 1120 K Street, Suite 200, downtown. Ask and tell yourself, remember, ah, remember, it pays to work with West Blue, westbluerealty.com now damon topic for the end of the hour here with our last uh, about two minutes is what should i do with
1: my saturdays if there's no college football in the fall well you're gonna have to move that breakfast beer to lunch that's step one or i can move it earlier okay early breakfast beer on a saturday uh maybe find some bowling on espn two. Um, I, uh, cry a little bit. I don't know. Saturdays without football is just going to be completely alien. It's going to be
3: f f. If we shouldn't say if we shouldn't there say is not if, if theres a there single is.
1: Saturday in the fall without football, I am not going to know what to do with myself.
3: Well, the problem is I have that feeling like every single year, come January, bowl season ends, even like through December after co- conference championship week, Saturday comes around. I go, well, could do some yard work, I guess, but it's a winter time. So maybe I'll maybe I'll have a chance to do more fall winter or yard work. Could be fun. Maybe I'll just rake leaves every single Saturday. I really don't know what to do with myself.
1: Like it's terrifying. Maybe We will have an extra long uh, Saturday morning show for Hale Varsity. Just, I'm I'm just gonna put up an old game from last year that I didn't watch. Maybe some some action. Some teams uh, from the the Pac-12 and just. Pretend it's a, a real football game that's live. Well,
3: you bring up a good point. Maybe I could like make a list of classic Husker games. Make a list of, like twelve. That You gotta watch these—the twelve games that are on YouTube that you can't miss. And I'll have to start week one through week two, or
1: through week twelve, watching a new game every single week and getting cultured on. I mean, maybe we should just pretend it's nineteen ninety-five and just go through that season.
3: Ooh, that could be fun—twenty-five year anniversary. We just pull up every single game from nineteen ninety-five and watch it. Oh, that's not a bad idea. I don't know. I mean, Chris always tells me about like these players and teams, and I go, well, I've heard of them, but I'm sorry. I can't say I've ever watched them play. They played. They graduated college before I was born. I'm sorry. Maybe maybe this is my chance now. I don't know. The other option is Netflix, but... I don't, there's It's a never-ending catalog on Netflix, but at the same time, I
1: scroll through it and go, well, none of this sounds interesting. The best case scenario is that we don't have to do any of this, and we can just sit on the couch and watch live sports, live football. That would be the best
3: option. Backup plan, though, is on Netflix, there was a show I started watching. It's called Home Game. Really interesting show. It is about, like, the weirdest sports around the world. It's awesome, and it makes me kind of wish we had some of these in, like, America. There's one called Cauchio Storico where it's just, like, bare-knuckle boxing combined with rugby, it's awesome. Go watch that show on Netflix. Tell Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. A
2: village Hearth puts so much care into making their natural buns. Baked with good stuff like toasted whole grains and natural honey, you're sure to find a variety that's just right for you. So no matter how you like your burger, Village Hearth has the perfect bun to build it on. Village Hearth Breads, baking our best for you. Welcome back. It's Hour 2 Hail Varsity
3: Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal and Damon Barr filling in for Chris as he's out on assignment. But we're still uh, got a good show going here, I think. Talked with Mitch Sherman last hour. Excited now to welcome in the pride of Fairbury. He's doing work for NBC Sports in the Olympics. That is Bill Dolman. Bill, it's been a bit of a weird past 24 hours with with this whole Big Ten moving to a 10-game
0: schedule. How you doing, man? And not nearly as weird as you saying Chris Schmidt is on assignment. Well, it's he's a- watching his kid play baseball, which is a wonderful thing to be doing. Don't get me wrong, but like, I mean, I read all this. So oh, Chris Schmidt's on the air like ninety hours a week in Camp O-R, KLMs. I mean, he's sitting down, he's pushing the buttons, talking every now and then on assignment, like he's like he's breaking some investigative story.
3: That's weird. Oh, come on. He's doing very important work watching his son play baseball. Uh,
0: No, no. (laughs) That's that's absolutely best. But but let's not uh, uh, put this under some type of uh, big-time story breaking that he's doing on assignment. You should see
3: Damon. You are having Damon cracking up laughing in the other room right now. I don't think he's ever experienced (laughs) someone just absolutely trash Chris like that. Not trashing Chris. He does great work. But, uh, Bill, I'm glad you said it and not me. Uh, but <laughs> let's get into some sports though. Um, cause I don't want to be fired by the end of this show. And now no,
0: you're good. I got you covered. Don't worry about it.
3: Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, let's get into some sports. And before we get into this whole 10 game conference schedule thing, which is weird. And I don't think anyone really knows all the ins and outs of it. Uh, let's get into to Scott Frost. And there was a, an article earlier this week indicating that Scott Frost has to win, or he's going to be fired this year. He is on Top uh, the top level of the hot seat right now. He's alongside Tom Herman in uh, in that list of guys. So I wanted to get your initial reaction on that because I, I kind of have a feeling where you're going to be going with this. But Scott Frost on the hot seat?
0: Oh my God! It, it's only hot if if uh, that seat has been sitting out in the Nebraska sun and nobody's been in it for a while. That 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 could not be farther from the truth. I mean, it was surprising to me that it came from somebody as well respected as Dennis Dodd. Because um, a lot of times you see articles written by somebody that you've never heard of, of writing for some obscure website uh, trying to get clicks now I will say that there's probably an element to try and get clicks because well, let's face it if, if the words Nebraska and football or Husker and football are anywhere on the web Nebraska fans will click on it right
3: mm-hmm.
0: so for so for me, that's all that was about. It was just a strategic thing to get people to click on it. Um, I, I'm shocked that that somebody as well-respected as Dennis Dodd would write that. He may believe some of it. I have, I have a hard time believing that he believes 100% what he wrote because he's been around Nebraska. He knows Nebraska. This is a different regime than what we had uh, for, what, let's say 15 years of this century, right? with incredibly bad leadership in the athletic director chair, other than Tom Osborne, and some bad leadership um, decisions at the uh, the chancellor and, uh, and high administrative levels. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm speechless to think that anybody would actually believe that Scott Frost is on the hot seat at Nebraska. That just is mind-boggling to me. When I read the article, you know, you had to go through it, and then they list, you know, all 100 what 20 some coaches that there are. Mm-hmm. I expected to see maybe a, a, a three. You know, because he, he, he graded it on, what, five, zero to five? Yeah, zero five to five. being the hottest. Uh, I thought to attract clicks, it would have been three. And even then, I think it would have been ridiculous. But to think that Scott Frost is on a five hot seat is, is mind-bogglingly uh, inaccurate. I'm not going to say dumb. But it's just, that, that's just not possible. Well,
3: in your opinion, on a scale of zero to five, where would you put it? Zero. Fair.
0: Oh, yeah, come on. First of all, okay, just, just in dollars and cents, okay, Nebraska has probably paid out more money to coaches who aren't working than any school in the country over the last 20 years, right? I, mean, I, I think they may have just got done paying Pelini off you've got Mike Riley, you've got athletic directors, you've got other coaches, right? So Nebraska, I don't think, is going to stand. Nebraskans are going to continue to stand for paying people not to work, right? Um, And to think that you're going to all of a sudden pay off Scott Frost and his salary, that's not going to happen. That's not going to be stomached anyway. But to think that Nebraskans are going to turn their back on Scott Frost uh, to me is, is totally ridiculous so
3: bill dolman's got it at a zero and believe it or not bill the king of hot takes colin cowherd i'm gonna call him that i don't think it's an official title but that's that's where i'm putting it all the stuff i see on twitter um he actually agrees with you but it's it's not for the same rationale but before we get into that what's your what's your take do you do you believe that colin cowherd and you could agree on this
0: well, I, I think he's got a pretty good understanding. He must listen to me when I'm on the show on Friday afternoons. I think he probably, probably has a pretty good understanding of who are you going to get that's going to be better. Mm-hmm. I think that's one. But two three years ago, there was no hotter coach in the country than Scott Frost. Right? He had to pick up any job that he could have after Central Florida, including staying at Central Florida. If Florida wanted him, I think he would have been great at Florida State. I mean, any school in the country that had an inkling to make a coaching change wanted Scott Frost. And for Nebraska, the best choice by far was to get Scott Frost. And I don't know if there was a second, third, fourth, or fifth choice. I'm sure Bill Moose had plans. But for somebody to come in and and, to make as much sense culturally, there's nobody better. And Nebraska fans know that. Scott has to know that. And the thing that Scott needs to understand right now is, you know, he, Nebraskans have backed him so much so that I don't think he could ever turn his back on them. I, I think he came in thinking, and this is just me speaking, I think he came in thinking, look, I can turn this thing around and, and you know, let's see what happens in, you know, at the end of my contract in seven years. I think at this point, Scott needs to be grateful that Nebraska fans have embraced him the way they have him, him coming back and the patience that they've shown toward him. So I, I think I think these are two parties that have mutual respect for each other, and I think they're in it for the long haul. Is it going to pay off and we're going to have an era of twenty, you know, twenty-five years of winning two hundred and fifty-five games or forty years and winning, you know, three hundred and some games? Probably not. But can Nebraska get out of what you know said this is a seven-to-eight-win uh, school, which I think right now is probably accurate. But can Nebraska get from that to 9 to 10 annually? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. And I think there are years when you'll, you know, Nebraska is going to be back in the conversation uh, when it comes to college football playoffs and whatnot. They're not there right now. But the progress is to go, yeah, I think is there. The potential for this year is to be 7 or 8, depending on what the schedule looks like. Let's just, let's just say the schedule is what it was going to be. I think the potential is there to be seven or eight. In a couple of years, is it the potential to be eight to ten? Yes. And I think that's the track Nebraska's on.
3: Bill, I want to dive into the three points that Colin made because he's agreeing with you. He's essentially saying that Scott Frost is the best Nebraska can get right now, but he lays out three reasons that I don't necessarily agree with. The first one is that Nebraska made the wrong move by going from the Big 12 to the Big 10. The second is that the fans, media, and AD, everyone around, has unrealistic expectations of Scott Frost and this Nebraska football program. And the third is that the team does not have an identity that they can use in recruiting. I want to start with the first one, and that's that Nebraska shouldn't have left the Big 12. I laid out the the financial side of things back in Hour 1, but I want to get your take on it. I, we've talked with you before about Nebraska's move to the Big 10, and I think, if I remember correctly, you were confident that this is the correct move. Do you still stand by that?
0: Yeah, for for. for for you're you're talking about stability, financial, uh the TV network, all of that. Um I don't think there's any question. You you've got Power 5 conferences, but there are really two that are the powers. And that's the Big 10 and the SEC. Not the Pac-12, as much as I love the Big 12 and doing stuff in, in that conference and they do have Oklahoma, but when it comes to the, the power structure of those five and, and not the ACC, who's you know, holding on to you know, three Duke-North Carolina basketball games every year and, uh, in the hopes that one day Notre Dame will become a full-fledged member, which would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So the two power conferences in this, in this country are the Big Ten and the SEC. That's just the bottom line. The money from the Big Ten network, the money in general, the exposure, all of that pays off. There's still, there is still... 10 years after all of that conference realignment took place, there was still uncertainty about the big 12 TV contracts, membership, Texas, all of that kind of stuff. There is still some uncertainty that, that there, that there just isn't there with the big 10 or the sec right now. The other part about this is, look, and I've said this from day one, when I first saw my, my first memo, and T- Nebraska was going to be in what was called the Big 12. And Nebraska doesn't have a rival and all that in the Big 10. I think that's going to be there with, with Iowa. And I think the Iowa rivalry is much more uh, solid than, the, than this whole Colorado thing that was manufactured by the Big 12 ever was. But the, When they made the decision, the Big 12, to separate Nebraska and Oklahoma from the traditional end-of-the-year football game, that was it. For Nebraska, the you know any power that it had in that conference, when they decided that that game was no longer an annual thing, that the rivalry had to separate. And by the way, now your rival is Colorado. That did it. If Nebraska and Oklahoma had maintained its rivalry, the, the, the Big Twelve had allowed it. I still I think Nebraska to this day would be in the Big Twelve. But when they said no, you're not, and here's Colorado, it's it. it that just showed Nebraska that they, the big twelve had no affinity for it or um, had uh, no respect for its tradition, both as a school and the rivalry so I, I for the stability that the Big Ten provides and the money it's to me it's still the best it's the best move and and there will be more moves with conference realignment in the coming years It's not done
3: Bill Dolman with us here on Hale varsity Radio Bill I want to move into the second point that Colin Cowherd made, and that's about unrealistic expectations. Do you agree with him? Do you think that Nebraska fans, even the AD and people within the athletic department, have unrealistic expectations of what this Nebraska football team should be?
0: Nebraska fans don't have, I, I don't necessarily think they're unrealistic. They have high expectations. And part of those expectations are that you conduct yourself in a way that honors the state of Nebraska. And when you honor the state of Nebraska, it's worth ethic, it's people, it's character, it's personality, and all of that, you know, good things are going to happen. So why should Nebraskans, who have a high regard for, uh, you know, uh, the handshake culture, you know, why should they expect people to not give their best effort and conduct themselves in a way that is honorable? And when you do that, good things are bound to happen. Now, let's face it, people outside of the border of Nebraska don't quite get us. I know, Nebraska, it's not for everybody. But how many times have we heard over the decades they're not going to be able to recruit, they're not going to be able to get the kind of player, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to, and they continue to do it. Look at, the, you know, look at Hale Varsity and where, and where kids are coming from, you know, the recruits, they're from all over the country the walk-on program, people who understand the program. So is it unrealistic to somebody outside the culture? Sure. But if you if you want to be a part of Nebraska and you want to be a part of something and you want to give yourself to something, eventually all that's going to work out for the good and you're going to meet the high expectations that people have for the program. It's a cultural thing that people outside just don't get.
3: Bill, that is right on the money. If you want to hear that answer again, I'm sure we're going to have that up on the SoundCloud after the show. That was absolutely hit the nail on the head. But, Bill, last point from Colin Coward was that Nebraska in recruiting has no team identity. they got really nothing to hang their hat on. Something like Wisconsin's got offensive line. Notre Dame's got, uh, what do you say, academics. Do you agree with him? Nebraska doesn't have anything to hang their hat on?
0: Well, that's just because Nebraska's changed its identity so many times over the last 20 years. It gives Scott time to establish an identity, to, uh, to, have, to bring in players who understand what it's like to be a black shirt and not just wear a black shirt, you know? And I think, you you know, when Nebraska wore those black jerseys last year to honor the black shirt, there's just, you're wearing a different color shirt. If you go ask the Peter brothers or Grant Wistrom or Jared Thomas or Tony Veland or Mike Mender or some of those guys, they'll tell you what it's like, what it means to be a black shirt, not just to wear a black shirt. And when that culture starts to get reestablished and roots start to draw you're going to have that black shirt mentality it's like Texas A&m has the wrecking crew defense nobody talks about that anymore because they've just let that go away Nebraska still holds on to bl- to the black shirt you know mystique and there will be a group that will eventually come in that's why I say you know the, the Nelson kid from Scott's Bluff is such a valuable recruit because he is from Nebraska he gets it he got one at the end of the year and I think He's the most important recruit Scott has gotten to this point. Um, when it comes to his, uh, Scott's offense, let's get some players who have been in that offense for a while, and maybe you're going to have an identity to where everybody's going to understand that that offense is something special. You're going to get the receivers that are going to be cycling in that are all going to be 6'2 and 215 as opposed to 5'8 and 175. You're going to get some running backs that are pretty versatile. Uh, they've got to get some big hosses in there on the offensive line, but there has just been way too much turnover over the last 20 years, creating different identities. And that's just not just Scott, but that's all of the, and, I mean, head coaches, that's all of the assistant coaches, the, the, the turnover there, and losing relationships and different philosophies. And, you know, guys having four or five different position coaches during their time at Nebraska. You know, back in the day, you'd have, you'd have Charlie McBride. You'd know Charlie McBride or Milt Tennerper or Dan Young from the time you're probably a sophomore in high school because they were recruiting you, and you knew them for the rest of your life. Now you've got guys who are in there one year at a time, one year at a time, one year at a time, and gone and gone. It's hard to establish an identity. It's hard to establish rapport, and it's hard to establish roots. But as long as that staff can stay together and philosophies can get entrenched, you've got recruiting bases with deep roots, it'll all start to come back together, and you'll start to see identities that people will reflect, or that will, that will reflect the Nebraska program, the Nebraska culture, the Nebraska people, and the expectations.
2: Bill, we're up against a break. It's
0: gonna take time.
2: Bill, I gotta cut you off, I'm sorry.
3: We're up against a break, but I want to thank you. Appreciate the time you were just on the money today.
0: Thanks. Good go, Big Red. And we're back, fellas. Think we could
2: listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
0: Yes, that's awesome.
2: Back in, it's Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the
3: Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbel and Damon Barr filling in today for Chris Schmidt. Had a good show, I feel like, today. Mitch Sherman joined us first hour. Bill Dolman just now. Both really great interviews. You can catch both of those on uh, ESPNLincoln.com, or you can catch the podcast, hailvarsity.com or your favorite streaming service. Excited now for one last great interview, and that is with Derek Peterson. Derek, I mean, I'm sure you've read, uh, you've read his stuff. So he writes for Hale Varsity Magazine and HailVarsity.com. Derek, it's been a pretty weird and uncertain past 24 hours as we look ahead to this 2020 season. How you doing, man?
6: I'm good. It has been a weird last 24 hours, and it seems like uh, the news cycle will probably keep on turning as we move through this weekend. Uh, because, As you were introducing me, I was reading a, <laughs> a press release from the Mac. It sounds like the Mac is going to go to conference only if I'm reading this right. Conference only football in the fall. Um, so I... I you know the Big 10 was the first one to come out and say hey this is this is the path that we're going to we're going to try to chart for ourselves and certainly not going to be the last um uh, you know, we're probably going to have a, an eventful next few days
3: it seems like that's the direction a lot of these teams are moving in is that or of these conferences are moving in is that's to go to a conference only schedule um before we kind of get into how this affects Nebraska we had a caller last hour ask well what's Notre Dame going to do i mean do, that I, I really had no answer do you do you have any idea?
6: I mean if I was the Big Ten League office I'd be calling Notre Dame like yesterday to try to see, hey, do you want to take part I mean I, when the Big Ten tried to expand um, in 2010, 2011 whatever that was, yeah, I think everybody assumed that Notre Dame was their first call. Um, I know like people at Nebraska assumed that Notre Dame was going to be the first call and Notre Dame wanted nothing to do with it. Notre Dame's been pretty content to be. An independent, and, you know, like when they made the playoff the other year, you kind of saw why. All they had to do is go undefeated, and they're in the playoffs. so it works for them. Up until this season, where <laughs> it's not going to work at all. Um, you know, you saw, like, the ACC, I think the reports suggested that if the ACC moves to a conference-only schedule, which doesn't sound like is a given yet, uh, but the reports suggest that um, the ACC would, would include Notre Dame, um, I mean, I, I feel like Notre Dame is going to find um, some homes. I feel like there are teams that are going to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll play Notre Dame. Um, just especially if fans are allowed in the stands at games this season. I mean, Notre Dame sells tickets. So, um, you know, maybe the ACC is, is a destination for them. But I, th- I think I saw something that if you take away ACC and Big Ten games, Notre Dame would only have like three games on its schedule. Um, so, you know, if I was the big 10 league office, I'd be calling and saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's try to work together a little bit. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do some things that the rest of our member institutions are going to do as far as testing and, and procedural things and things like that. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that like the big 10 and Notre Dame talked about at least the possibility of doing stuff.
3: Well, Derek, that's what's been so interesting by the past twenty four hours is this has never happened before. We don't know what's going to happen. Now, I mean, I'd be shocked if the the possibility for a ten game schedule was in the Hale Varsity yearbook. No, no offense, but that's just. I mean, it's, it's so. <laughs> who would have thought?
6: But yeah, we didn't. We didn't talk about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No. But I mean, it's just uncertainty is abounding. And I want to get your personal opinion on this. After this news is broken yesterday and other conferences have followed suit or begun to follow suit, are you more or less confident about college football in 2020?
6: Um, I don't know that the, the big tens announcement yesterday really changed my outlook on the season. I think if anything, it was, it was commissioner Kevin Warren's comments after the fact on, on BTN and, um, I think he spoke to Cleveland.com um, or, or Sports Illustrated was the one that he spoke to privately. Um, so, so Commissioner Warren's comments and then um, Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith talking to media afterwards. Both of them had a, a rather somber term. Um, you know, if you look at the way that we're trending as a country, it's not going in the right direction. Um, and that was kind of the line that, that um, Gene Smith drew. And... You know, I think everybody, everybody has to publicly say right now they're cautiously optimistic. Um, I think that there's still a great deal of uncertainty, even in the Big Ten, um, now that it has its, its, its path forward or, or what it hopes is its path forward. I don't know. I think this certainly makes it easier for the Big Ten um, to shut things down altogether later down the road. Um, but it also makes it easier for for them to play a season. Um, you guys had Mitch Sherman on, and I was actually just listening to his to his thing from was it an hour ago, and uh, he was talking about you know how if you put ten games on the schedule, you can try to get nine in, and if you plan and, and, and try to stretch out your um your schedule to to account for you know a team has a a rash of positive tests one week and and you have to reschedule and, um, you know, you've kind of baked in a bunch of bye weeks for teams. You know, something that Brandon Vogel has has kicked around was the idea of everybody plays the first five weeks and then you have a bye week and then everybody plays the next five weeks and, and that leaves you with a week without any Big Ten football, which might not be great from a TV standpoint, but it gives you kind of a baked in Weekend where if something happens and you have to cancel a game, then you can easily reschedule it with those two teams. So, so from a from an ease of schedule standpoint, I mean they're kind of going down um, what could be potentially a successful route. Um, but, but I would say just listening to Commissioner Warren and listening to to Gene Smith was um, that Thursday, and then just kind of knowing. Where we're trending as a country, um, I, I would I would say my optimism is is not very high. Um, I would, I mean, maybe twenty five percent likelihood that we play. I mean, a full season at least. It's I, I think people's outlook on it has soured a little bit over the last couple weeks.
3: Well, Derek, I'm going to remain hopeful. Uh, Deep, deep down, I'm probably 50-50 on this season um, just because there's so much that can be said. Ask me again in two weeks, and maybe I'll have a different answer. Um, But I want to be hopeful and say F Nebraska is playing in this 2020 season. It's felt like a season where Nebraska – needed to get a little momentum going early, especially with that tough stretch at the end of the season. And obviously we don't know what the season's going to look like for Nebraska now. We're not going to know until the, the schedule gets officially released. But the, losing these non-conference games at the beginning of the season, where Nebraska could have built some momentum, now that those games are no longer there, does that bode poorly for Nebraska?
6: Maybe, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, and and the the um, the schedule remains the same in terms of, when they play teams, not necessarily the date, but like the order that they play teams. I mean, before the schedule was kind of shaken up, you looked at it and you said, well, Nebraska really has to get three wins early on to try to feel good about itself. And, and you know, before we're looking at it from a bowl standpoint, but you could also talk about from, from just a, a young team that in the past doesn't, hasn't, hasn't showed that it knows how to win and knows how to win consistently. Consistently and winning is a, is a mindset as much as anything. So, yeah, losing a game against South Dakota State and Central Michigan, even though they're not guineas, they're not cupcakes, um, Nebraska probably would have been favored in those games. I don't know about Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a really good team. But, you know, it's not like playing Ohio State or Penn State. Um, you know, Frost talked about this uh, in year one. He talked about it in year two. Like, you, you get better. You, you improve the most from, from week one to week two. And Nebraska was going to go. Obviously, they had Purdue to open, but you know you were going to go a couple weeks where, where you had games against competition that you felt at least optimistic about your chances. Um, and now to have those removed from the schedule, you're talking about you know if they had a 10th game, you're talking about maybe Indiana, um, maybe Michigan State, and Michigan State has its own set of problems. But you know, you're talking about about Big Ten programs, and, and Nebraska hasn't fared well in the Big Ten in recent, recent seasons. It's a young team. Um, they've got to, you know, they, they still have to figure out how to win games and how to put games away. And now, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting if they try to maybe reshuffle the board a little bit. Excuse me, a little bit. I think Bill Moose said to the Lincoln Journal-Star earlier that he would like to keep Purdue in week one. Um, I, don't, I don't think Purdue is going to be a world beater this year. That'll be an interesting game. I think Nebraska would and probably should be favored in that. But you know, you, you get into the rest of the Big Ten West. You talk about Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin. Nebraska's got crossover games with Ohio State and Penn State this year. Um, yeah, they could have used those those first those first three games um, in the non conference. So three of your first four weeks to try to try to build some some good vibes around Memorial Stadium and build some momentum. But maybe a little bit more importantly, build some chemistry with your offense and and. Adrian Martinez at quarterback. That would have, I think, projected well um, into Big Ten play, and now you kind of have to start a little bit cold.
3: Derek Peterson is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Derek, I want to shift gears just slightly because this decision and how it's impacted football has stolen the headlines, but it's going to affect all fall sports. And the other big fall sport at Nebraska is volleyball. How is the volleyball team going to be affected by this decision?
6: Well, I, I had Jacob Bedilla on my podcast uh, today to kind of ask him that question. And um, it sounds like that this is something that, that Coach John Cook was preparing for. Um, you know, the, the way Jacob phrased it, it's, it's really going to hurt Nebraska to not have that game against Creighton in Omaha. Um, they had a non conference game against Creighton. I believe they had a non conference game against Stanford. Well, some of the non conference games that you lose. You know, that, that hurts a team that has legitimate national title aspirations and, and can realistically get there. And, you know, I, I don't know. If, if, it, if it's not safe enough to play a football season, it's certainly not safe enough to play a volleyball season. I know volleyball is not a, not a contact sport, but, you know, I, I hope for the, for the sake of that team, which is a really good team, figures to be a, a title contending team, that, that they can – go about their season but I think right now like you know we're kind of in the same boat that we are with football I, I just think that there's there's a lot of unknowns that we're gonna have to work out um, over the next few weeks I mean August 7th is when football fall camp starts and and you know, I, I don't cover volleyball so I'm not you know i don't I don't immediately have when when they start preparing for their season officially but you know decisions are going to have to start being made and i think there's just so many unknowns still um you know i I, I think volleyball was preparing for the possibility of, if not, you know, completely doing away with the non-conference, at least a, a regional schedule. Um, but, you know, I, I think Cook has been has been kind of looking at contingency plans for a while, at least as he's told our Jacob Padilla.
3: Derek, I'm sorry, I'm running into a break. I was going to give you a couple seconds to, to talk about that Colin Coward segment, on uh, on his show yesterday about nebraska but we're running <laughs> up into a break so i'm sorry if you want to go check that out uh derek had some good thoughts on his twitter account that you can uh go check out derek any last thoughts before you go no no well derek i appreciate the time thanks for joining us here on hail varsity radio and have a nice weekend all right
6: appreciate you having me on thank you
3: thank you derek good stuff from derek coming up after the break quick little hit on ufc before we let you go for the weekend He's in his th- 20s.
2: But sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now,
1: say my name. It's Elijah. Hail
2: Varsity Radio. I got the body of a pre preteen Swedish boy.
3: <laughs> Thanks for that, Damon. Appreciate
1: that. How long have you been cooking that one up for? Uh, for like 30 minutes now. <laughs> that was nice. I really enjoyed that
3: one. I kind of need that one. We should get that unsaved specifically into me, because I. I You're never going to beat the first time. we got to have my own rejoin. That's going to be my rejoin now. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. I appreciate that. (laughs) Excited to get into some UFC talk. Just a reminder that if you missed any of the interviews today, that's Derek Peterson about 15 minutes ago, Bill Dolan beginning of the hour, Mitch Sherman last hour. You can catch all those ESPNLincoln.com or in the podcast form on HaleVarsity.com, iTunes, or your favorite streaming service. I mean, I thought we had three really good interviews today, really good insight in this uncertain football world we're living in right now. Who knows what's going on with the 2020 season, but I think we had three guys come on who really uh, really gave it to us straight and uh, and let us know what what's actually going on out there, because it's uncertainty. We don't know what's going on, and uh, I mean... Good stuff from all three of those guys. I I really encourage you to check those three out. But I want to get into UFC 251 taking place on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi tomorrow night. All the fighters are there. All the fighters are ready to go. I have $60 in my checking account that has been saved for this fight. I am super excited. Hoping I can get a group of friends over less than 10, obviously. But a group of friends over that can help me pay for this. Because I'm paying for it one way or another. Tomorrow night's going to be awesome. I got three... Title fights all going down tomorrow night. You got Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. You got uh, Volkanovski versus Max Holloway. And you have Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo. Uh, that last one is the interim belt, uh, which has been left after Henry Cejudo, the former uh, Olympic gold medalist wrestler. He retired from the UFC, and left that belt vacant. So now Peter Jan and Jose Aldo are going to be battling for that one tomorrow night. But I want to start it off with this Alexander Volkanovski and Max Holloway fight. Currently, Alexander Volkanovsky is just about a 2-1 to favorite over Max Holloway. Uh, these guys are fighting again. They fought last in December 2019, about seven months ago. Uh, and in that fight, Alexander Volkanovsky won by major decision. Full five-round fight there. Uh, and, and both of these guys just are at the top of their game right now. They're both in the top 10 in the pound-for-pound rankings across the UFC. It's going to be a whale of a fight. Max Holloway looking for some redemption after that one, but Alexander Volkanovsky hasn't lost a fight in seven years. He's undefeated since he's joined the UFC. 21-1 record coming into this fight. Max Holloway, on the other hand, 21-5. Both these guys in their late 20s, still young fighters, got a lot of their UFC careers ahead of them. Um, but they both have interesting stats that would lead you to believe that they're not going to lose this. I, I said Volkanovski. He hasn't lost a fight in seven years. It's pretty incredible. On the other hand, Max Holloway hasn't lost back-to-back fights in seven years. His last fight was to Volkanovski back in December. He's had seven months off since. And he's now looking to to keep his streak alive of never losing back-to-back fights. So, a lot of interesting options that could go here. Volkanovski uh, is his first time fighting a fighter for the second time. We talked about that uh, last hour how difficult it is to beat someone or or a team twice and alexander volkanovsky now has to go beat max holloway two times this is the one that i think is your best bet if you're going to be betting on the fights tomorrow at least across the three championship fights max holloway took volkanovsky the distance last time all five rounds neither got knocked out neither was really all that close but volkanovsky really did he tore him to pieces in the striking game he won all five rounds in that fight Max Holloway, though, has five rounds, 25 full minutes of fighting to be able to go back and watch and evaluate and be able to say, what can I do better? So I think Max Holloway is the, uh, the one for you. I mean, neither of these guys are knockout artists, really. Uh, I think it's going to go another full five again. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, it, with how the UFC is, is one punch can end it. One punch can change how a fight goes. So you never know. It's,
1: it's always tough betting on the UFC. But I think Max Holloway is the best bet to get the, the upset. Tomorrow night. I have I have one question. How much does losing a fight like determine the outcome of a fighter's career? Like you said he hasn't lost in seven years. Like, do you have to do that to be the best? Can you not afford to lose? That's what's unique about UFC isn't in a
3: boxing career, you lose one and you go, Oh, that's kind of it for this guy. A forty and one record doesn't look as good as a forty one and oh. Um, but in, in the UFC, it's okay to have a lot of losses. You look at the other title card, uh, which is the the big main card of the evening. That's Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal's thirty five and thirteen in the UFC. He's lost thirteen times, or not in the UFC in his mixed martial arts career. Thirty five and thirteen. He's he struggled throughout his career. He's been a journeyman fighter, but about three years ago, four years ago now, he uh, took a two year break from the UFC and decided, I'm not going to fight for these two years. I'm going to take these two years, focus on myself, and I'm gonna get better. And he's now won three straight fights, including the baddest mother-effer belt, which he won over Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz, excuse me, two of the, the toughest guys in the sport. Jorge Masvidal's on a three-fight win streak, and now he's getting a shot at the title. And that's that's what UFC comes down to is it's hot streaks. People can go work on one aspect of the game. You, you can get a loss and you're okay. Kamara Usman lost his second fight ever. He got submitted by a rear naked choke, and he hasn't lost since. So we can get into that fight a little bit, actually. Um, Jorge Masvidal comes into this fight. No time to prepare. He took this fight on Sunday. Sundays, whenever he officially agreed and signed the paperwork. And on Monday, he was on a plane, uh, on a plane from Vegas to Abu Dhabi. He doesn't have time to condition for this fight. Whereas Usman's been training for a guy uh, who's a little bit different. Gilbert Burns is a guy who's a little more well-rounded. That's what Usman is. He's a national champion, Division II wrestler. He is great at wrestling with people. But he's also just a, a world-class level striker. He will beat you in... All three phases of the game. He'll beat you standing up, he'll beat you in the clinch, he'll beat you on the ground. That's what he does. Masvidal is just tough. That's what it comes down to. Masvidal, ugh, it's going to be tough for him to win this fight. That's If if you're a smart man with your money, you're putting money on Kamara Usman in this fight. Masvidal, no time to prepare. And both of these guys like to go deep into the fights, into the fourth and fifth round. and That's kind of where they're where they get the edge on guys is they're conditioning. Mazvidal hasn't had as much time to condition for this fight. Obviously, these guys train hard. They train year-round. He's going to be ready. He's going to put on a good show for the fans. I just don't know if he's going to have enough time to prepare and get ready for a guy like Kamar Usman. And, I mean, Kamar Usman never been knocked out. He got submitted once, and that's it. He hasn't really been in danger. This is a guy that's dominated his past about 15 fights. Just no question. Mazvidal, we'll see. This is his first real test since he's gone in this three-fight win streak. He's been impressive, but he hasn't faced somebody the caliber of Kamara Usman. So that's why I get Kamara Usman as being a your good money on that fight tomorrow night. Last fight is Petter Jan versus uh, Jose Aldo. As I said before, this fight is the vacated belt, which was left by former Olympic wrestler and gold medalist Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo is dominant in this weight class, and he called out Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo usually fights a weight class up in the 145 weight division. This is in 135. And Henry Cejudo called him out, but then retired. So now they're saying, well, Aldo, you already got called out. We're going to give you the chance to win this fight. Chance to go fight Petr Jan, go win the belt. You were going to get that chance against Cejudo. You're not getting any more. Well, okay, we'll, we'll give you a shot against Jan. But Aldo only has fought two times at this weight, at 135. And he, he's in the twilight of his career. He's 28 and 6. He's fought a lot. In his only other fight at 135, he lost. And in his last six, he's 2 and 4. This guy is not on a hot streak. He's just getting the chance because somebody called him out, and he's been dominant before. He was the former champion. Petter Jan, on the other hand, uh, has really risen through the UFC ranks pretty quick in the past two years. Uh, he is 6-0 and uh, with three knockouts. But on the other hand, his best challenge has been a washed-up and old Uriah Faber. Jose is going to be the best challenge he gets. This is going to be another interesting fight. If Jose Aldo can recapture his form from yesteryear, he used to have really great leg kicks. He used to really work guys' bodies and then finish them later in the fight. We'll see. Smart money, though. Petr Jan, he's 14-1. and 1. His nickname's No Pain. No Pain. How cool is that? Just rushing. Rushing as hell. He, I think he gets the win against Jose Aldo. Uh, but we'll see. Neither of these guys have fought a full five rounds in a long time, so conditioning could be big in this one. But money's on Petr Jan
2: miss us?
4: Come here, brother. Give me a hug. We're in for the real thing.
2: We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at hailvarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio.
3: Wrapping up a Friday here on Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal and Damon Bars. We were filling in for Chris Schmidt today as he was out On assignment, I'll say it again. Out doing some important work with his family. Uh, Thought we had a good show today, though. My dad texted me um, right before the segment and wanted to let me know um, that he really enjoyed the the segment with Bill, Bill Dolman. And uh, I'm sure you'll like it, too, if you're listening from home and you missed that one. It's going to be up after the show here uh, shortly. ESPNLincoln.com. Full episode of this show is going to be up on hailvarsity.com, as well as iTunes, your favorite streaming service, Uh, ESPNlincoln.com is going to have these interviews for you, as well as the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page. Before we wrap up the show, just a quick reminder uh, that one out of three fatal crashes involves an impaired driver. Driving drunk, buzzed, or high is never acceptable, and law enforcement officers are working around the clock to stop it with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. As a driver, make the correct choice of a non-alcoholic drink or of a pre-selected driver. Be smart and start the conversation. Who's driving home? Message brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Transportation Highway Safety Office. Damon, before we go, you got the day off in the morning.
1: You've earned it. You've had a long week. Uh, You got any big plans besides sleeping in? Uh, Sleeping in, doing laundry, all the the fun Saturday chores that I've been putting off just because I've been lazy all week. I got got a lot on the docket this weekend that I got to, I'm not sure if I'm going to have time for it all
3: because I got to wake up and I'm doing the show in the morning, which I'm really excited for. Um, that's actually no sarcasm whatsoever. I know my voice sounded very dry, but it's actually a really nice way to start my morning, get some coffee in me, get in here, talk about Nebraska football. What's better? What's better? And I always love hearing from, uh, Mark Kranach and, and Chris as well. It's a great time Saturday mornings. Then I'll go home and then the craziness starts because UFC's 251's tomorrow night, which I mean, I got to get a workout in, I got to get a haircut, I got to mow my lawn, I got a friend who wants to come over and do some dinner before UFC. So it's just, it's all, it's all stacking up because be home by what, 930 or 10 by when the show's over tomorrow. And then haircut, if I do that at 10, I'll be over by 1030. And then by the time I drive
1: home, it's 11 and will get a workout in. And you know, there's probably a time for everything in here today. It's just, it's Saturday. It's supposed to be relaxation. Thanks for reminding me to mow my lawn. I totally forgot about that one, but that that is definitely needed at my house. Yeah. I have a dead, I think, oak tree in the front yard. And uh, my
3: landlord is still not, not fighting with me. I shouldn't say that. He's a nice guy. I like him. But we we just we we just haven't gotten around to finally getting this this tree removal service um, scheduled and get the tree out of there. It's expensive. I you just got to like, get a chainsaw. I don't know if I'm experienced. I don't. My dad actually really cut his leg up on a chainsaw a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I wouldn't ask him to come over because I don't want any legs being chopped off in my yard. I don't trust him with that thing anymore. Um, sorry, Dad, but. Like, the the tree's dead, and it keeps on dropping limbs in the front yard, especially like, during these storms. Like, Thursday night was brutal. And I'm not sure if it's from the tree or if it's just what's going on in the yard, but I keep on getting all these little oak spru- sp- sprouts, I don't know, sure sure, coming up in my yard. So I have, like, a nice green lawn, and then just randomly there would be, like, a little mini oak tree coming up with, like, a couple leaves on it. It just looks really ugly. So I got to get it mowed because, like, all my friends are going to judge me whenever I have them over for UFC 251 tomorrow night if my lawn doesn't look good. I'm sounding way too old to be 21 years old. Talk about my lawn and having, impressing my friends with my lawn. Like, they don't care. But I care. I, I need to get that worked on. Um, then backyard. I got to get some, some grass planted in there, too. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. I got grass to plant in the backyard. If, if college football's canceled in the fall, every single Saturday is going to be a nice lawn day. I'll just get all my grass planted. Sorry, if you don't care about my lawn, I'm Sorry. It's something I'm passionate about. We'll be back in the morning, though. Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And don't forget, Chris, back in tomorrow. If you missed him, I'm sorry, but he's back tomorrow.